Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with The Great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, aka that hat I always wear. Go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. Hey, welcome, Mikkel and Tor from Stargate to And The Writer Is. I had some questions because you guys started this music program called LAMP, and I wanted to know more about it. Um, how is LAMP different from the other music programs? Well, Ross, as you know, music has been my passion since I was a kid. And I actually applied to music school but didn't get in. So we knew at LAMP we had to be very different from traditional education. We will see you and hear you purely based on your talent. Did anyone ever ask you about your GPA in a session? I think not. We actually teach you how music is done in the real world, like you're in the Stargate session. Amazing. I- If I wanted to be a part of it, how would I apply? Simply go to lampmusic.com. That's L-A-A-M-P music.com. We think a lot of the most interesting people in music don't necessarily have high school or college education, so we don't require any degrees. All you need to do is uh, send in your music, and uh, that's uh, how we decide who gets into the program. This is a, a paid program, so what... You know, if I have to pay to be a part of it, what kind of value would I be getting as a student? You'll leave with an amazing number of songs in your catalog because the absolutely most valuable thing in the music business is the, are the actual songs. You'll also have studio time every single day and collaborate with other super talented people in the community. And since we're also bringing in top executives, publishers and managers, it's also a great place to connect and have your music heard by some pretty amazing people. What would a week look like at this program? So every Monday we have a new mentor coming in and they're talking about their most valuable lessons. Uh, Then we go to the studios and start writing on this week's assignment. Uh, And then the mentor will go from room to room and actually interact and work and and help write these songs and shape these ideas. Uh, And we deliver them on Friday. And every Monday we have a listening session, give feedback and the whole uh, process repeats. Who, who are some of the mentors? Some of the mentors we have so far are Justin Tranter, Neo, Circuit, Jossie, John Cunningham, Emily Warren, Charlie XX, and of course us, Stargate. So here's the real question. Can greatness be taught? Well, most of our students will already be pretty good. Uh, so we focus on the difference between good and great. And I think every single 
mentor that's in this program, they've done great stuff. So they know what that sounds like and feels like. And our mission is to help you take your music to the next level. How can I find more information on this? You go to our website, which is lampmusic.com with two A's, or our Instagram, which is also lampmusic. And uh, that's where you uh, send your music in and uh, apply. For those who don't know what LAMP stands for, what is it? Los Angeles Academy for Artists and Music Production. Awesome. Congratulations. And uh, I hope some of our listeners get to be participants. This is really cool, man. Congrats. Thank you so much, Ross. Thanks, Ross. Speak to you soon. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's guest quickly has taken the producing world by storm. His contributions to the record-setting, chart-dominating single Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo broke the records for fastest song, reaching 100 million streams. In fact, it beat Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. What? It debuted at number one and sat there for eight weeks, which is virtually unheard of for a debut artist. Of course, all this predictable success is after he launched another streaming star, Conan Gray. Original from Long Island, this overnight success started his career more than a decade ago with his band, As Tall as Lions. It goes to show that you just can't predict how a career can and will unfold. Funny, but... It seems like his is only beginning. And the writer is Daniel, a.k.a. Dan Nigro. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, so, uh, so Dan, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel-son, um, uh, let's start from the beginning uh, of today. You worked out today. I did. I worked out and with a producer crew. It's Wait. only... It's, yeah. What is that? Oh, no, I'm joking. It's I oh. mean a couple of my friends, uh, but we're all producers and we we all work out together on uh, several days a week. Who are the other producers? Uh, Ariel Rexshide and Jesse Shacken. Those are very uh, very accomplished producers. Do you guys um, do you guys just like clink platinum plaques as you go? Yeah, that's, or pretty, that's pretty much actually what we do. We we're not allowed. I wasn't allowed to join until I had a platinum plaque. So that's really that's funny. Not, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, those are really good dudes. They're super nice. Yeah, they are. We have a good time. We've been. They're actually some of the first friends that I made when I moved out to LA ten years ago. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go. Let, let's go even further back to uh, uh, May fourteenth, nineteen eighty two. Mm-hmm. Long Island. Uh, I think it was uh, Plainview, New York. I think that's where I was born. Yeah. Uh huh. It's a good uh-huh. time. Are your Are your parents musicians? Very, very non-musical parents. They still, to this day, fully don't understand what I do. Um, Still, my mom asked me, you know, two months ago when I was going to uh, when I was going to be on American Idol. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's weird, and I don't want to get into my story in the beginning of yours, but when um, until my dad came to a BMI Awards thing and saw me win an award. He literally said that, you know, we thought that because I used to play shows with my band, that that was success if he saw me on stage. Right. And he didn't, he felt like this was not as successful because I'm not in a band anymore. Mm-hmm. When your mom's asking if you're in going to be on American Idol, 
Is it because they still feel like your success is interlinked with your performing days? Yes, a hundred percent. It's to, to them. They, I'm still a performer. She, my mom, still doesn't understand why I'm not singing. Like she doesn't get it. She's like, she's like, why would you want to be in the background? I don't, I don't really fully understand. And you know, like when are you gonna? So does this? You know, she'd be like, does this mean you're gonna start releasing music again? And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not what I want to do. <laughs> How? <clears throat> Does it is it something that she literally struggles with understanding? Where I think she she does she feel like you're squashing her talent? She she definitely like she doesn't. I mean, I think for many years they didn't fully understand what I was doing out here. They're like, I don't like. I, I remember my dad even like. Like well, obviously my more my production career is taking off in the last couple of years. But I, when I first moved out to LA, I was actually having a lot of success just uh, writing jingles and and making money by doing commercial work. Um, and so I was making money when I first moved out here. And like even even after I bought a house and like you know completely like based on like what I was doing with music, uh, they were still like, well, like are you going to move back and like maybe take over the family business at some point? Like, when are you thinking about going back to college? You know, and I'd be like, I'm like, I make good money and I'm happy. Like, I don't understand why, like, why I would change my career path. Like, you know, they like didn't understand that like this was something that would actually like last for more than a couple years. What is the family business? Uh, my dad owned an, he owned an office products manufacturing company. Oddly, very, very similar to The Office. And when The Office came out, I swear I was like, did they have some spies in my dad's factory? Like, this is weird. Like, everything from the shipping department and the amount of people in the actual office itself, it was, like, uncanny. Like, it, like, really tripped me up for a while. Quitting college, did that disappoint your family? Did you go to college and then... Because you said I dropped out of college. college. I got signed to uh, I got signed to a record deal when I was 19. So I was I was just starting my junior year of college. Um, maybe it was 20. Maybe I was 20. Uh, like it was it was all happening around like like late teens early 20s. We got signed to Triple Crown Records um, and I like wanted to... I, we did. My entire band we quit school and I just like bummed it at my parents' house for several years while I tried to like make it work um but yeah i mean that at that point my parents were really confused and like actually looking back i mean i'm glad that i did it and it all worked out but it was it was kind of funny that i like dropped out of school and like literally sat on my parents couch for like six months waiting around for like my record label to decide when to put out our record because we didn't really understand how any of it worked you know and so we for my entire what it would have been my senior year of college i sat at home and drove my mother crazy because she like didn't understand what was happening and really rightfully so i didn't actually understand what was happening at the time i think when um, people get record deals their assumption is that and this is a maybe even a different era because it's a little easier to move records when you don't have to manufacture anything right you know when there doesn't when you're not distributing physical sales for the most part things do move a little faster but mm-hmm. i think people think when you're in, when you get that record deal that that things do move fast, and in reality, it's like you've been touring, you've been getting all this, you build it up enough buzz to get a record deal, and then everyone puts the brakes on. Yeah, because that's these- literally what happened. We like literally put the brakes on for almost a year, and like I, I mean, yeah, it's 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 like it's the most cliche story you could think of. Like I literally thought like. 
oh yeah, we're signed. Like now it's all now now everyone else does the work. Like we did the work. You know, like now we're gonna sit back. We finished and we finished our record and we were like, cool, we're gonna wait until they wanna put it out and then we'll start touring and we'll get on big tours because we're signed to our label now and everything's just gonna work out. You know? Yeah. Funny and how that's that not happens. How it goes. <laughs> well but you when you um you know, I, I I have enough notes here to know that you started, that you you found your love of pop music in sixth grade. So let's start from sixth wow. grade. Did, is that what I did? I say that in interviews at some point. Must have said that in an interview because it's in my notes. Unless wow. somebody else got that wrong. Is that correct? Is that incorrect? I think I always loved pop music. I I feel like I was always like like insecure in in high school because all of my friends. Like there was like in I went to a pri- I went to a Catholic high school and it was a really big school actually I think there was like four hundred or five hundred kids in my grade and there was like a music circle like a clique of music kids and all the kids in my music circle like or just all the kids in the music circle was probably like forty or fifty kids they all listened to like alternative music or punk music or emo or screamo or hardcore like I'm from Long Island so like the emo and screamo scene that was the metalcore and all that stuff was like so big and so if you were into music as like a 14 or 15 year old like that's what you listen to you know and I feel like I was always like I was listening to like TLC and Hmm. like Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey and like you know being like and I also I mean I, I did actually love like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and No Doubt and Green Day and Nine Inch Nails. But like I also had this love of pop music that like nobody else shared. So like I bought those CDs and like it was like secretly like listening to like Mariah Carey, like Always Be My Baby, like, you know, think like but I don't know. So so I did, I always loved pop music and then when I was in my band like I was always trying to make us a little bit more pop and then everyone was like, No, that's like not cool, like Pop music isn't cool. Like we got to make music that sounds like Our Lady Peace and you know Pearl Jam or whatever it was. You know what was big at the moment. That's funny. Um, it, what so I feel you- like I was always and it was and even like growing up in the band and like throughout. I mean, granted, I like got really into like a lot of like Brit rock and alt rock in college, and I was really obsessed with it. But at some point, I was just going like, no, like I actually find pop music really interesting, like the production style and all that stuff and I had no clue about, I didn't know how to do it at all but I just found it so fascinating and I was finding like rock music in general was becoming like a little bit like it all sounded really like formulaic to me right um and so I started to like slowly like shift my interest in what I listened to and like and that was also like later I was like 28 20 I didn't start producing music until I was almost 30 when I guess making music Making music in a band versus the music that you're listening to, why why is it so hard for people to play the music they listen to or write the music they listen to? Why uh, that, why that were you a, not writing gr- music that you listen to? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know why that happens. You know, I think honestly, like I mean, I speak from a very very singular point of view on it because I was also like. Talking about being like an early twenties, like also like very insecure and like unconfident with themselves, and like you know being you know you have the pressure of your surroundings of what your friends are listening to, and so like when you're going to shows, like and all your you're going to these like cool like underground shows in New York City, so it's like you you kind of like start to just make music in the scene that you're hanging out in, and not maybe not so much of like I don't and that's but that's me, that's me being like I don't know me and not. I can't speak for everybody but on that. I think that this is actually pretty common, and you know, uh, 
Someone like Ricky Reed, who also did commercials before he. I've known, produced, yeah, I've known you know, Ricky since like, we were six. Uh, no, actually, like nineteen or twenty. Yeah, yeah, you know, like the this is our that whole generation of writers that you mentioned, uh, Ariel, whatever. All, a lot, a lot of these writers that are about the same age. All of us were in bands. All of us were doing the thing, where we were all in bands, and then we all ended up in pop music. Right. So it's interesting that you know the perception of pop music versus if that may I don't know there's something about cha- the perception I think it changes of- I think it changed at some point. I really feel like I mean for me personally around 2010 2011 uh-huh. I remember it changing whereas like I went from like listening to like and I still listened at the time like I remember like being excited about like a new broken social scene record or a new arcade fire record or like a new feist record or you know, something that was like a little bit more indie leaning. Yeah. And at some point, like, you know, friends were showing me like Beyonce records and being like, but listen to those drums. And I'd be like, right, like, how do you make it sound like that? And at the time, I didn't actually understand how to like bring like samples or like, you know, drums into like a session. I just thought like the only way that you make drums is by actually like playing the drums, you know? So I was like, I never, and I remember like listening to like certain records and being confused is like but how do they get it to sound like that cuz i can't i'll put a microphone up and like my drums don't sound like how do like i didn't understand the process in any way and it wasn't until like starting to like and then you know i remember like Justin Raisin and Ariel giving me like a sample folder and being like no like you just put these in the session and i'd be like oh yeah right. you just and, and then you, and and the idea of you know the thing is, you would have to do beat detective when you'd have a real drummer anyway to try to like quantize these real drummers. To you know, even if you had the best drummers in the world, you still yeah. were shifting things around. Versus yeah, but I didn't. You know, I literally didn't understand any of that until like right. I was like you know until I was like almost thirty. 30. Like I, I just didn't <laughs> yeah. get it. I didn't understand what was. I I was so confused by it. I did, none of it actually. Like even the songwriting world. I was telling someone recently, like it just didn't make sense to me. Like I was like, wait, so you write a song and it's not for you like you you go in with other writers and then you just make a song and then you try to hope that other artists will sing it but i don't understand how they how do they even hear the song like how do you do you know them are you friends with them like and like it didn't make any sense to me it just was like i was so confused by the whole thing you know? i think it doesn't make sense to it doesn't make sense to some of your peers it still doesn't make sense to like some of like people in the business don't understand how it happens <laughs> and and honestly you are in a crew of people where um where a lot of times people really do write just one on one or if it's like these 50-50 songs or at most you know 33% songs you know you're not in the 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 part of the world no, I I'm, think I tried yeah. to do that for a while. I, I think just by, because I was actually seeing songs that I loved, like you know, like was like really inspired by like Max Martin Productions and like seeing what those people were doing, and like so I was like, oh, like I like that music. I want to make music like that. But ultimately, I realized that I wasn't good at it. You know, I was like, mm. oh, I'm way better like in a quote unquote band setting. Like I'm good like one on one with the person and having like a really strong like emotional contact with that person where we can be like really, really close and really talk about things and no never feel rushed, you know, like you do a, a pitch session or even like other sessions you bring in another writer and like, Oh, I have dinner at seven PM, I have this thing and like you're like, Oh, can I get a bounce of that or whatever it is? And I was like, I hate that. Like I like to be able to like know that like if I don't finish like my thought that day that I can still call that person tomorrow and be like, hey, like 
So this is what I was thinking on that song and not feel like weird about it. That like, they're like, oh, that song that we didn't finish yesterday? Like, well, that we didn't finish it. So why would that be a song, you know? And that mentality really freaks me out. Like the whole like, you know, like feeling like so detached from the song in that way. Um, I hope that gives permission to people who are hearing this that it's okay to do that, to write a song and not finish it in a day. Yeah. It's so it's it's so logical to people who are in bands or who are artists who when they write for themselves, most people aren't writing a song, a full song in a day. But it's okay if you just write a pre chorus and that's Yeah, I mean I a lot of my favorite songs, like especially with like Olivia and stuff with Conan, like we're like we spend you know, like a lot of especially with Olivia's album, like like seven, eight different versions of a song, you know, like changing it. Like, is that chorus good? Is that verse good? Like, can we go back and fix it? Should we ch- should we start over and re-record the whole song, you know? like, And I think those things are so important, you know, that to, like, be able to feel comfortable enough with the other person to, like, to know that, like, you, to, you can, like, go back and fix something that has the potential to be great. I think that, like, in the modern songwriting world, which is really like freaks me out is that when people like hear a song like oh I don't like it and you're just like why don't you like it like is there something great in this like I, I was like because I feel like there's something great here like maybe I didn't nail it on the first try but like we can get it there you know and people don't have that they'll just hear like the hear it and like that's it like that what they hear the first time is like they don't think that there's any potential for change you know that's and, the max thing that you get when you you know, when when you say that you want to be like Max, or when you want to sound like him, to sound like him, you have to be willing to go back. Right. None of those songs are written in a day. No. And none of them are produced in a day. Not one. Yeah. Never. So it's like that. That mentality is what is makes a lot more sense. And and you, now you see the value of doing that too. Yeah. I've. I mean, I have. I've stopped doing it the other way. Like it's been years. Like I. You know, I spent years. Like kind of. I feel like. I don't want to say it was wasting my time because I. I honestly truly believe that you learn something from every session you ever do, and even like the most random session. Like I feel like there was a session. You know, like. You know, I probably did like seven years ago with some artists that like I. You know, talked to for the three hours that they were over the house and then they left and then like I could be in a session seven years later and be like, oh, and then like they think, somebody asked, an artist asked me, oh, can you like make it sound like this? And I'm like, oh my God, like I actually made a sound like that like seven years ago. Like, yeah. you know, like, and instead of me spending four hours trying to figure out how to get that sound, I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I know how exactly how to do that, you know, and it'll, I could do it in five minutes now. And that, like, and so that moment seven years ago that you were like, "Wow, that was such a waste of a day," all of a sudden becomes like such a valuable moment to you. Yeah. Uh, do you still do pitch sessions? No. No, I don't. I haven't done one in probably like two years. It's only with artists, right? Yeah, it's only with artists. Yeah, I don't. I actually, the weird thing is that I really like doing pitch sessions. Like, I have fun in them. I just mm. don't think that like. They're very fruitful for anything. I just like I, I enjoy the moment of like hanging out and making a song, you know. Yeah. But but I don't think that anything's ever like come from a pitch session I've done in the last five years. Well, it you know? helps if you're with artists that take outside songs, and then you can actually just hand play them, you know, 
while we're working, hey, check out this hook that I wrote with a friend kind of yeah. thing. You know, my, maybe that's where it's like useful for somebody who's not like... I do, what I do actually, I'll do more like, and I haven't actually done it this year at all, but I have, I you know, I've done like beat days, I would call them. You know, like where me and someone like Jimmy Stack get together and we'll just like make... Like these, like little four bar loops, so like really interesting things, and like, and I love, I love that because it's feels so creative and freeing because you're not pressured to write a song. You're just like creating some cool drums and some cool chords that you like, and then I'll bring them into sessions with artists. And that I've done quite a few songs that way, where I've brought in like, a, like just a musical sketch, you know? Yeah, that makes um, a lot of sense. And um, I find those, I find those sessions to be so inspiring, like for me, and and also. Like just they're creatively fulfilling, and then also they've actually been, you know, worth it because I've used them multiple times. Let's say Caroline Polachek, and actually, um, this then uh, I did a Cautious Clay song recently, in which that stemmed from like a, you know, a, like a beat that that Jimmy and I made. Totally. Wait, let's go back a little bit because I I kind of feel like I skipped over you starting as a songwriter. I mean. Mm-hmm. Here you were listening to music in high school that was different than anybody, but you, you know, when you're in a band that gets signed at 19, you didn't start writing songs at 19. You played no, guitar. I, I, I so when started, did you start playing guitar? When did you start writing songs? I started playing piano when I was about five. Uh-huh. And there's a really funny story that my mom basically, I hated the piano. I hated it. I hated practicing. And my, and I was like probably like eight years old. And, I was like, I hate it, mom. Like, I just don't ever want to play. The, what's the point? I'm not going to be like a piano player. Like, I didn't, you know. And my mom was like, by the time you're 18, you're going to be thankful that I made you stick it out on the piano. And I was like, no, I'm not. I promise I'll never. She's like, all right, we're signing a contract. And she literally, I remember in like one of those like old like composition notebooks wrote a contract where it was like, if you enjoy the piano by the, the time you're 18, like you owe me a thousand dollars, you know, like, and so... Um, and sure enough, by the time I was like 14, I was like, I was in love with the piano and like, I was like playing in a band and like, you know, like it, like half of my friends were because I played, like played music, you know? And then I started playing it, but it really started. I remember very specifically, like in sixth or seventh grade when I got really into Nirvana and I started, and I like wanted to pick up the guitar and I was like watching like Kurt Cobain, like, uh, was it nine inch, uh, was it MTV unplugged? Yeah, the the Nirvana's performance of MTV Unplugged and like about a girl was like the first song that I learned how to play on the guitar, and then I was just like went through this like, Nirvana phase for like two years where that's the only thing I listened to and I learned like how to play guitar like every song off of Nevermind, and then like right after that In Utero came out and like so I was just like obsessed with like grunge music, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Nine Inch Nails. I mean, those were basically the big three that I was just like that I listened to religiously. Um. And that stemmed into me like forming a band in like high school. Wait, was as tall as lions from high school? Yeah, we were, we started in in um, in tenth grade. How crazy guys. is that? Are you are you still friends with all the guys? I am friends with them actually. Yeah, I'm closer with the guitar player Sean. We still like talk on the phone, but we still have an as tall as lions like text thread that we like text every you know. When something funny happens, or like there's like a, somebody like sends us a funny like DM, or you know, some, I don't, or a nice DM, whatever it is, like we'll text each other about stuff. Um, when you get but, signed to Triple Crown, you know what are what are the expectations? 
I, you know, that's a great question. I, I think, <laughs> I mean, I, what the expectations that I had and the expectations that I think Triple Crown had were probably very different things. Um, what, what were they? Because I was just like, literally like, and it's so funny thinking about like my, my mental attitude of like writing, like, especially when I work with people like Conan or like Olivia who were like, were pretty much about the same age as me when I, you know, like Olivia is obviously a little younger than when I got signed, but Conan's probably about the same age when we got signed. And like just their like how prolific they are as songwriters, like how much they write and how like how much they know about the music industry and like they're like the way that they navigate things. I think maybe because the internet is like makes it a little bit easier on people now. But mm-hmm. back then I just my my honestly, my creative thought was like was like, well, when inspiration hits, that's when I write a song. So like I wrote yeah. a song once every two months because that's when it, like it naturally just came to me. Like the thought of like working at the craft as a teenager was not something that I thought like was possible. I was like, no, 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 you you can't like you can't make a song happen. It has to come to you. You know. Plus, there's an <clears throat> ego attached to people who are in bands who get signed, where it's like I can do this. I already have a deal. Like I don't. I feel like people tend to think that they don't have to. You know. That Kurt Cobain wrote thirteen songs for Nevermind, and then that was it. <laughs> you know, and maybe he did, and that's the that's maybe the worst. That might be the those are the things that really kill you as a, as an as an artist is when you hear those stories of well, yes, Sting that's only the, wrote ten songs per album. You're like, that's awesome. You were Sting, and <laughs> and for everyone else, and even those artists, like you'd listen to some of these great albums, you'd be like. Objectively, you can still say in a lot of great albums, there are probably three or four songs that were not hits. Yeah. You know, in a lot of those great albums, yeah, brilliant work because they, you, we, we listened to albums. So we tolerated them to the point where we actually really liked those songs that were not hits, but there's no appetite for that now. So now you really need, if you're going to do an album, you know, 10 hits, which means you have to write a lot of songs. You know, or at least have really good co-writers in it, so you can potentially get through it. You know, um, I think that it's really interesting that that we tend to like, um, gr- like grant. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like, uh, not grandize. Like we ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We we tend to like make those moments like I remember reading like a book about Radiohead's OK Computer and like mm. and it being like oh they were like 
they kept on scrapping songs and they like didn't like what they were doing and I'm like oh that's what you need to feel like you need to hate everything you're doing in order to make good music you know like mm. you need to like think that you're not great and like or like you need to like be at odds with your record label and fight for things in order for it to be like a good thing you know and I think that we tend to like not we I said like as I feel like my generation like when you came from like a band like you you tend to like uh <clears throat> fantasize that that those are like the the moments where like that you're making real art as if like you're at odds with everybody and like you're doing something completely different or something you know I feel like that's almost like typified by when you're a frontman at least you know a lot of the front guys that I I knew at the time like we drank a lot when we performed. Like we would always, you'd always have like a drink from the bar while you're performing, or you do. It was just this idea of almost if I if you act like a, a front man, then maybe then you are a front man. <laughs> right. Rather than the the coolest guys, probably the guys like, nah, I don't drink. I just go crazy on stage. Would be you know, but everyone else was trying to be Scott Weiland or trying to be you know some of these right. other guys. And yeah. It's like, yeah, that's, yeah, it was, which is just funny because now it's like such a different vibe. Like, like I feel like the most like successful people that I work with are all like they show up if the session's at noon, like they're there at eleven fifty nine, and they're like yeah. ready to go, and they have ideas, and everything's like prepped, and like it's like we're like in a different mode now. And I'm I'm for it. I'm into it. I just feel like it was a different world back then. Yeah, it's totally different different world. I mean, like you were saying, artists actually show up having some knowledge about the music business, so they. They act, you know, with that in mind, and they. But uh, let's keep going. So, why did the band break up? Um, for for like a multitude of reasons. But when I try to like really think about it, we were all unhappy. I think we were all afraid of like, you know, when you're in a band. I think a lot of people struggle with this. Is like like their identity is like wrapped up in the band, you know. Or like as their artist self, so that when like that that thing no longer seems to exist, then it's like who are they, you know? Um, and I kind of feel like even I mean me myself included, like we all kind of like we're like nobody was truly happy doing it, but nobody was willing to like let it go, you know. And I basically came out to L.A. And there was like a lot of things like like between creatively and personally that were like bothering me and everybody else like I'm they, you know they had issues with me and I had issues with them. Um, uh, but it was when I it was literally when I came out to L.A. just to like go on vacation and I was like hanging out with Justin Raisin and like Matt Ariel and basically he was like doing some songwriting work. They were they were basically like that was like when they were like stepping they're putting their toe in the the water and figuring it out and I was just out at the right time and I was like really inspired by what they were doing um, and that's when I kind of started to like understand what was happening with just like what pop music entailed and like writing for other people and I just fell in love and I uh, J- Justin kind of brought me into a couple of sessions to write and I enjoyed it and also basically like we did a commercial or two and like on a whim like I just did a commercial or two with him and they like landed and I was like, oh, and he, we were both kind of like, yo, like you might be good at this. And I was like, wait, so there's like, I felt like I had the strength to like leave. You know, I was yeah. like, I have something else that I could do in my life that, I've, that I'm enjoying. Well, and, and do so something that, else musically. Yeah, it's musically. Not just something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I had something else musically that I could do and I was actually, and I enjoyed it more. So I just like, 
I remember very vividly, like the I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna leave the band. And I'm gonna move out to LA and I'm gonna become a songwriter and do commercials. You know, and I remember like t- I told the band and they were, you know, I mean, ev- everyone, including myself, was really upset. Like it was like a really hard thing. We were a family. Like we had been together for basically making music together since you know we were tenth in grade. high school. Yeah, we were in, like 1997. We started making music together. Yeah. yeah. So it was really hard. It was hard, yeah. And then, but it also was really, really hard to go home and tell my parents, like, I'm moving out to LA and I'm going to be a songwriter. And they were like, "What? What are you talking about?" <laughs> like, it's weird. It it's right, almost the, a. It, there's <clears throat> almost, um, and I, I mean this. Um, it, it's like a, a creative coming out. You know, yeah. it's like a, it's an artist come. It's almost like coming out of the closet as an artist, where, it, where you end up saying that this is. Um, this is who I, I what I really want to do is be a songwriter. I don't want to have a normal job. It was like is like a really hard conversation for a lot of people to have with their parents because you're sort of the expectations are that you you know, you you probably, you know, be a doctor or something. You know what well, I mean? Well, actually the crazy the craziest thing is that like the band like things were actually going somewhat okay. And I like I say somewhat okay, but like we were finally starting to make money and we were finally starting to like do things, you know, and like, like have like shows. We I just headlined, like I, it, Irving Plaza, which I think is now called the Fillmore in New York City, to like a thousand people or something. You know, like we were like crazy, finally like making headway, and we were like getting known to be like a good touring band, and we were gonna start making our fourth album, and and like I remember like our booking agent and our label were like, "What is wrong with you guys? Like you just are getting going, you know?" But I was, we were all like, "No, like I don't. Know, this is not my life." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and the thing is, you end up getting as much, almost as much money in a in that those commercial licenses as you did in your share of a record deal. Oh my god, you know? more! I made yeah. more money in the first year that I moved out to LA making commercials than I did in the five years that I was in the band. You know, what year was it that you moved out here? Two thousand. I ma- I officially moved out in two thousand eleven. So between two thousand and eleven, and you know. There's there there are some releases and you work with some major label artists. You get in with Sky, who obviously had has so much talent and it didn't totally work out. You know, um, you've worked you worked with a couple big names and you got in with Dylan Francis and Carly Rae and you get in stuff. But it's like sort of one cut per year, two cuts per year. Not that that's bad, but it wasn't. Why are you judging me? Why are you huh? judging me? <laughs> um, but it wasn't where. Wasn't where you're at now, and so you have like these seven years of growth before you start getting, you know, the kind of cuts that we now ex- sort of, uh, not to put pressure on you, but expect from you. you know? <laughs> Good, I want to be expected to have those cuts. Um, so, but what, yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, how like, does somebody it's, it's, survive? How does somebody survive on a cut per year? I mean, you don't. I mean, that's. I always like felt weird, like when people like came to my house for the first couple years in sessions, and I'd be like, I, they're like, you own this house, and I'm like, not from songwriting, not from songwriting. <laughs> like, like it was from commercials. I, I mean, I landed a lot. I mean, I made a, a good amount of money from doing commercials, so I was able to kind of like sustain myself, uh, sustain myself by doing ad work, um, which was I'm so grateful for, um, and. Yeah, basically that's I didn't make any money from the songwriting. I mean, it's like it's almost comical looking at, you know, my yeah, you know, my ASCAP checks from like 2000 and 
twelve to two thousand and seventeen. They're you know they're pretty comical to see. Um, Why but, did you not give up on the writing during that time when you're doing the commercial stuff? Like, what's what's even the point during those seven years to pursue being a? That's a great you know, question. I just loved it so much. I just like it's just what I saw myself doing. It was like this is what I want to do, and I I really loved what I was doing. I loved writing songs. I mean, and the great thing about doing a commercial is that it doesn't take very long. You know, you could make you know a lot of money from making a commercial that could essentially take you like five or six hours to do. You know, so if you did a good job on a commercial, you know. One week, and you can make ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars from doing a commercial. Then, like you can, fo- you can. I mean, ultimately, like that's what enabled me to focus my energy on writing songs and producing was being able to like sustain that from doing ad work. You know. Yeah. Plus, you know, if you get in certain ads that <clears throat> commercials that that last a long time, then yeah, the ASCAP checks in two thousand twelve are might be funny, but the ASCAP checks in two thousand seventeen start to look different. Because yeah, they, I mean, ultimately, you don't really make that much money from commercial, like the royalties from commercial. But what you do make is the residual income from, uh, from like, I mean, like I, I mean, I'm also fortunate because I'm a singer, so I oh, like, after, sang background vocals on a lot of commercials that got SAG. So like, the SAG union pays really great money, and you know, I, so. I can't tell writers enough how important it is to sing on records and how important <laughs> it is for producers to make sure that your co-writers sing or clap or do something on a record so that they can get health care. Yeah. You know, like it's really a big part of the songwriting world is making sure you're performing on the records. And people don't get it that if how many of your friends are, you know, actors who would kill to be in a commercial. Yeah, you know, and, I'm like, and then I'm, and here yeah. you sing you sing on something and you get paid the same. Yep. it's hard hard to explain that to people, and they they just don't believe it until it's you know no, it's too no. late. Yeah, um, I, I I always find that yeah I like I think that more songwriters should be doing that type of work on the side if they're like you know trying to make an income like it's I totally you know great. I I feel like some people like like I don't know if they like they don't frown upon it but like oh well it's not like songwriting you're like well it is songwriting and. You can make money from it, so like, do it, you know. Totally. So there's some <laughs> something shifts in 2018, you know. Um, Basically, what shifted for me was at some point I decided to like kind of just do what I wanted to do. I think I was always trying to follow in the footsteps of like, you know, the people around me and seeing what other people were doing, and and obviously like you're like you're you're influenced by your peers and stuff. And at some point, I just like something clicked in my head, and I, I I know it was in I remember it was like 2017. Like I started to like, I just would hear things on like a very visceral level, and just be like, I want to work with that person, or like, or somebody would send me something I'm like, oh, like the record labels are really into this artist, and like in like 2015, I'm like, okay, cool, like people are into this music. I don't really get it, but I'll do it, you know. And at some point, I just said like, no, I'm just gonna do whatever I want to do. You know, yeah. and I met I Caroline Polachek was like one of my favorite is was in chairlift and she was coming starting to make a solo record and I heard from someone and I just found her voice to be like the most incredible thing ever and I like reached out to her and we started working and then I met and then literally I remember being in a session with R.L. Grime and I was like writing a like a you know like a an EDME type of song with him. 
and he was playing me some new music and he played me this song and there was a someone singing on it and my I was just like who's singing this song and he was like oh this girl named Freya and I was like I need to meet this person and I like I literally was like who did, who did, who is she like I was like I don't know it's the girl from England that my like manager set me up with and I like reached out to his manager I was like who's singing that song he's like this girl Freya Ridings and I like looked her up and like there was literally like I couldn't find a single thing on her and I like reached out to her people and I was like I need to write a song with this artist like this is my favorite voice I've heard all year and they were like, all right, she'll be in England. Like, she'll be in, in LA in April from this day to this day. And I was like, and I was like, I'm going to be in New York that week, but I'm going to fly back to write with this person. And I literally flew back from LA to, I flew back to LA for one day to write a song with Freya. And that was Castles. We wrote Castles that day. And I just, I feel like that was, and then I heard somebody showed me Conan. And I was like, that kid's voice is insane. I want to work with him. And I want to just like, I started to realize what I was good at doing. And I was like good at working with people who had really unique voices, you know, and, and I realized about myself that I wasn't a great lyricist, that I'm really good at everything else, but like really getting the story down. I can help somebody finish a story, but I'm not like the one to come in with like the concept. So I realized when I started to work with artists that were like had that were like concept heavy artists that were able to like write from a very like real experience and also like have really interesting things to say that I could kind of fill in every other gap, like whether it be like production or chords or melodies or transitions, like just helping fill like the, the spaces that those artists needed. Um, and I kind of realized that that's what I was good at doing. And I feel like that's when kind of my career changed when I started to just like focus on, started to focus on literally the things that I knew that I was good at as opposed to like things that people were telling me that I should do. It's so hard to do that, man. It's you make <laughs> it sound so easy, but most people will look at the opportunity to work with an artist if they have certain accolades or certain social media imprints and nobody really like people tend to not say, wow, that guy's voice is great, so I'm going to work with them. Because but there's it, no way, you know, Conan was not Conan when you heard, when you heard him. But right? he was. Like, that's the thing is that I, 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 know, I know it does sound weird, and I, I, but I can't stress enough that like literally, like I literally started following my gut. And I know it sounds crazy, but I literally just like, and with Conan, with Freya, like all my successful like artists that I've worked with in the last three years, Conan, Freya, Caroline, Olivia. I literally heard... Caroline's a little different because I've known her music for a while and always a fan. But with those other three, I literally heard it for five seconds and was like, that's it. That's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm in love and I want to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, before we get into a couple questions with Conan and, and, and Olivia, you also worked with Phineas and both of you guys are on a different <clears throat> and similar trajectory at the exact same time, and you guys live in the same neighborhood. We live, we, like, well, yeah. I think we live like like four blocks away from each other. Yeah. What? What is? What? Why? Why? How does that happen? Actually, that was just more so like our managements. Both of our our managements were friends. Actually, it was it was his management and my A and R at my old publishing company were friends, and they were like, "You should meet." And I remember he came over, and then after the first song, we wrote the song "Heaven" for his project. And he was like, I like working with you, but you basically just do the same thing that I do. So, huh. <laughs> and I, like, 
It was but, like, I, dude, there's <laughs> a thousand people who do quote do what you guys do who don't have <laughs> the biggest artist and the biggest single, you know. So there's something about. I mean, the odds of that are still minuscule. You've right. worked with a, you've worked with a lot of other producers in your life that do similar things that don't end up, you know, where Phineas is, and right. vice versa. Vice versa. It's just crazy timing. Yeah, but. Let's go to Conan. Conan ends up, you know, um, uh, Kid Crow and this this album takes off. And that's way bigger than anything else, I feel like, that you had worked on. Maniac is huge. Heather's huge. Our streaming numbers just really right. significant. Um, but they weren't necessarily crossing over to hits that, say, your mom would know. Right, of course. My mom so, still is like, I've never heard that song. So before. you still have 300 million or 400 million streams, and yet no one knows who, like, no one in your family knows who this is. You go home for Thanksgiving and they're unimpressed with the, this <laughs> massive success. Um, was that frustrating? Mm-mm. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to make good. I, I say this, and I really don't mean to sound like a cliche, but like, I don't care about that shit. Like, I don't care what other people think. I just. I realize, like, just make music that you like making. And I, honestly, the more the more that I enjoy making the music, it turns out that the more it works out. You know? Okay, Olivia. <laughs> this is... It, you know, I know that there's... There's a thing with, um, you know, authors who write their, their book that is impossible to, you know... You only it's gonna be impossible for J.K. Rowling to beat Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Right. It's like you can try, but statistically it's unlikely. And here you come across this another great singer. And um tell me about like meeting her and you know, that process. I mean, yeah, I've told the story a couple of times, but basically, you know, because of because of the success of Conan and the fact that, you know, like I'd been with him since the beginning of his pretty much um, everything besides Idle Town, um, you know, we had worked on together. Um, and I feel like I had like a large hand in kind of like helping him, you know, figure out his sound. He's very involved in it. I mean, he's super involved and knows exactly what he wants, which makes it so much easier. Um, but because of that, obviously, you have so many. Um, uh, you have so many people who hit you up being like, hey, like you did this thing with Conan, like do this thing with my artist, you know? And I'm like, that's not how this works. Like, you know, like you need someone with a vision. Conan has a vision. You know, he knows what he wants. He knows who he is, you know? And so most of the time people send me things and I'm just like, oh God, like, no, not this. No, 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 no. And somebody sent me Olivia. I was like, you should check out this girl, Olivia. She follows you on Instagram. I was like, who's Olivia Rodrigo? And I literally went onto Instagram and I heard her. She performed this song that she wrote called Happier. And I just thought it was like such a clever concept. And I was like, damn, that's a great freaking hook. And I was like, I really like that. And I just DM'd her. And I was like, yo, I think you're incredible. Like, let's write a song or like, let me try producing a song. You know, like, I, I don't even need to write with, you know, whatever it is. And so, yeah, so basically we met and then the quarantine happened. And so we actually didn't get to like, we actually, we met literally the week that everything went into lockdown. And then 
we obviously spent like a few months not working because we and we just like emailed back and forth casually. She sent me some songs, and I was just obsessed with Happier. So I was like, "Why don't you come?" Like once, like we started to re- figure out, like, "Oh, you live in Pasadena." Like, okay, like you haven't been seeing anybody. I'm not seeing anybody. You know, like, why don't you come over? You live five minutes away, and we'll try to. And I was like, "We'll just track Happier." Like, I'll get your vocal and I can mess around with it. You know. And so she came over. We recorded a vocal. And I just started messing with it. And to be honest, like it was, you know, it was a it was a learning process because she had never really been having songs produced and she wasn't exactly sure what she wanted yet. So like the first like go ahead or two, I like remember like doing my first pass of happier and thinking to myself, like, wow, like I think this is gonna be really cool. I did like a verse and a chorus and I played it for her. She's like, Oh, I don't I don't like that. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was actually kind of shocked because I thought it sounded really cool. And she's like, no, I don't really hear it on guitar, blah, blah, blah. So, like, we tried it again, and then she liked it more, but it still wasn't it. So then at that point, we started to try writing together, and we actually started realizing that we had an interesting writing chemistry, you know? So we were writing a bunch, and I was, yeah, it, it just, I think we were fortunate to, like, not have a lot of noise around us because of the pandemic and because there wasn't, like, a lot of stuff happening. We were able to kind of just, like, hone in on something because we were, like, just like getting together all the time and just like messing around with stuff and exploring what she could sound like, you know? And I, I got, and luckily I was given, like, I got, you know, I messed, I don't want to say messed up, but I, you know, I definitely like tried a few things and had, you know, her and her label be like, that's not really what we're thinking or like, we don't really like that or like, you know, and then I'd try something else and then we like, you know, started hitting on some things, you know? I mean, that's amazing because most, first of all, most people would view that as rejection and say, well, and have an ego about it and probably walk away from a project if they didn't nail it on the first try or the second try. So kudos to you. It says a lot about you to, you know, to Thank keep you. going. Um, I, but, I think, but I think that's what it takes to do something really good. Like, you know, who like does something really good the first time? You know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not that person, you know? Yeah. Well, we we put out um, in this segment. We said we had Twitter questions of. You know, what, <laughs> I apologize in advance. Apparently, uh, uh, you and Olivia have a lot of fans. Um, okay, so uh, some of these questions are to about driver's license, and then some some are, are not. But one we're is, only um, allowed three driver's license questions. <laughs> good. Then, then I think that that's about what we picked out, and then we can move on. Um, um, how did you know when the song was finished, and did you feel it was as special as it was? It's it's a very complicated question because the song we both knew that it was special, like. When Olivia brought me the song, she had written most of it. I helped. There's like some very specific parts. Like we wrote the bridge together, and I helped write the the second half of the chorus. We wrote together because she had a different iteration of that, and it felt like when she played it for me, it felt like it didn't really like hit home yet. And so like we, so I wrote like certain spots, but the majority of it she wrote. She brought in the concept and most of the lyrical idea. Um, and I remember being like really attracted to it because just like the chords like were different than her normal chord progressions. It was like a much more like emotional chord progression, which she like wasn't, you know, a lot of the stuff wasn't leaning that way. Uh, and she was excited about it. And we like, and, but then also once you have that excitement, they're like, there's like an importance to it. So like you can't mess it up, you know? And 
So we actually redid the song three times because we started too fast and then we tried something else and then we didn't like the way that the vocals were approached. So we kept on messing with it. But every time that we were like working on it, it felt so special. Like there were moments when we were working on it that we were just like, oh my God, this feels so incredible. But then like we'd like listen back the next day and be like, it doesn't feel right yet. Like we kept on having that moment where like in the moment it felt really great and then like listening on reflection felt not so great, you know? So we had to keep on tweaking it and tweak like we kept on slowing the song down. Like we because we didn't want the song to feel too long because it was like so we kept on slowing it down which was like a thing. But that also know, says like, a, it says a lot about her too that she can <clears throat> is willing to go back and not not give up and to still believe and encourage her collaborators to keep Oh going. yeah, I mean that's one of the, uh, the I mean there's so many incredible things about Olivia but I mean, that's one of the things we just hashed. We have songs that, like, you know, that didn't make the album. That, like, we. St- I mean, like, I know we're going to keep on working on. It. They're just they're just not ready yet, you know. Um, but yeah, that was driver's license was tough because we felt. But at the same time, you get so in it that you like you like you start to go like, is it great? Like, I think it's good. And I remember it really wasn't until like we played it for everybody else. Like, you need like you almost like need that like validation of like. You know, because I was so in it at that point. I think I had worked on the song. I probably worked on the song for like almost three weeks, you know. And then I was like, I was questioning it. And and then we sent it to the label and they were just like, oh my God. You know, they were just so excited. They're like, but I don't, but I don't actually think even like in like, oh, it's a big song. It just felt like it felt special. Like, wow, this is a really beautiful song, you know, like. We love it. They were just so excited about the song. There was no like, oh, it's going to be a hit or like, we think it's going to be huge. It was, to me, that, that, never, that never even crossed my mind. It was just like, oh, we made something really special and I think we figured out like a large part of Olivia's sound. I think if anything, I was more excited that we had like figured out something that, that she loved, you know, sonically. Because yeah. she's such a prolific songwriter and I, think, and I think that she doesn't really think a lot of song, a lot of times, I don't want to say every time, but a lot of times I don't think that she thinks in terms of production. She just thinks in terms of songs. So that, you know, figuring out the production is like can be quite challenging because she's just thinking about the song itself. You know? Well that that's also a recipe for success if you put the song first. Oh know, yeah. This- <clears throat> someone else also asked, just speaking of that song, just to you know, said thank you, Dan, for writing a bridge on driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about the importance of having a bridge in this and why uh, so many songs are now bridgeless? I don't. I mean, I agree. I I joked around today. I have a song that came out today with Conan Gray, and we made a really big bridge for it. And I'm just all. I've always been since I was a kid, big into bridges, and. Always in my band, like always r- tried to write, like tried to outdo the rest of the song with the bridge. So I feel like bridges are really important to songs. And it's so, it honestly, like if there's anything that's like rewarding about the song for me on a personal level, it's the fact that people love the bridge and like, and like appreciate that it's there. I know that sounds silly, but like it just feels like, cause I feel like we made it such a moment that like, you know, people and the fact that people talk about it, it was just cool. And then like I feel like even more confident with like Conan, like on a couple of our new songs, like we have, you know, really big bridges and it feels like really important to make the bridge special, you know? The 
When did you, I mean, somebody asked, when did you know it was a hit? I think you, everyone knows when it, we all knew it was a hit. It was all the same time. But it was on Saturday, January 9th. <laughs> I mean, it's just so crazy to have, um, you know, you'll have other singles out in your life, but why and how did it go? I mean, how? How does this happen? Everyone in the industry wants to know how this happened. I don't know. Don't ask me that. I don't know. I'm just so freaking uh, grateful that it happened, you know? When writing up the follow-up songs, you've you know already, you know, Deja Vu and is also successful, but do you start changing your expectations? No. Honestly, no. I, I will say that the one and the, one of the greatest things about Olivia too is like she's just like focuses ahead, you know, like just we're working towards a thing. We've been working towards it the whole time. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the expect it, the only thing that changed was just knowing like it felt like I think everybody felt like a little bit, you know, Olivia, me, like the label. It's like. We didn't know what to expect from, you know, just like what people were going to think of her as like, you know, doing her own project and how it, and see, so seeing how like warm of a welcome driver's license got, like how much of an open arms, you know, thing it had just made us feel more confident in what we were doing. You know, I think if anything, it just made us feel like excited that we had other songs that were already done that we were like, oh, wow, like people are going to. It may, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's like it was just. It almost felt like a like a relief, you know, in a way of like, wow, like people are gonna love this because we're working on such. We already felt like it was what we were working on was special. So to like know that we had like other songs that were like felt really great just was like made it feel better. I, I, that I feel like I'm not articulating that. The no, right no, way, that it, it makes sense. <laughs> let's let's go to the next segment. We're gonna go. This is a five for five. I'm gonna list five people or things and you're just gonna tell me what comes off the top of your head <laughs> okay all right uh let's start with your wife my wife is my best friend she's amazing and i think that i don't know if i would have i think i attribute a lot of my recent success to her because i have a someone that i can actually like talk to and she's honestly one of the craziest things is she wanted, she's like my best sounding board, you know? I It's crazy. She has like, I don't want to say she has, per, she doesn't have perfect pitch. She has really good relative pitch. She's not a musician in any way. Like literally just never practiced music in her life. I think she maybe played the, I think it's the violin when she was like really little. But like she doesn't really know music. But she can like, she'll like come in the room and I'll be working and I'll be like, what do you think? And she's like, the snare drum sounds like it's in a different room than the rest of the song. I think you need to change the snare sound. Like she's that specific. So she's, brilliant. She's she's such a pro, and I like I love playing her stuff because I feel like I get. And she's really honest. She'll always be like, "I don't like that song. That song is annoying." You know, like, so, <laughs> like <laughs> it's so funny. If if people knew the. Uh, the playlist of songs that wives of songwriters or husbands of songwriters, like the ones that they don't like that came right. out that were hits or not hits, but like it's pretty funny. There's definitely a list of those for everybody where uh, I'm sure that there'd be a lot of people who'd want to know who's on your list. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's let's go with your, I, I don't, forgot what you called it, but your production crew, you know, with Ariel and 
and Jesse. you know Jesse. My workout I, you, crew. Throw your workout crew. Throw in Justin Raisin in there. You know some of these guys that you you know that you're close with. How do you describe your your crew in LA? I don't know. Oh, how do we describe them? I don't know how I would describe them. It's an interesting thing. I, I think that's. I think I love the fact that especially people. Yeah, like I mean, Ariel, Jesse, Justin, like they're all people that like I'm really close with, but they're also so talented and also we're talented in different ways so like it creates a really good like sense of like a uh, competitive energy that i like i think having people around you that are actually really great at what they do to make you feel like a little jealous or envious at times is really helpful to make you better you know mm-hmm. you hear songs that they work on you're like oh wow that's really great like i wish that i had thought of that or like man like that that like i feel like i get i you know i feel like ariel someone that i have a certain relationship where he's always like playing me songs that like he's working on and I feel like I have like it's always cool to hear that kind of stuff and like it inspires me and then like also like I feel like I can tell when there's something like oh man like that song's gonna be big like I feel like there's I have those moments where I can like pick out like ooh that's gonna be a good one you know yeah <clears throat> let's go with Conan Gray say it again Conan Gray what, what comes to mind when I think of Conan yeah he's my son <laughs> I love it, Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, she's my daughter. I have I have two I, I have two uh, surrogate children. Yes, that's beautiful. And then <laughs> let's go with your. Uh, now I want to know what your mom thinks. So let's go with your mom. But what do my mom thinks about what? Well, she started with the career, wondering when you were going back to college. So my mom has know. this funny thing where she thinks everything should be revolved around me. Obviously, all mothers are like so. Like I, I mean, I, Olivia and I were joking like when driver's license started to blow up, and like Olivia did an interview or two, and my mom watched them, and she like Olivia didn't talk about me as she shouldn't have to talk about me in any of her interviews, and my mom was like, you know, Dan, I watched an interview with Olivia, and she didn't talk about you at all. And I'm like, okay, well, why would she have to talk about me? <laughs> like, she doesn't need to talk about me at all, you know? She's like, well, I don't know. I mean, she talked about driver's license and she didn't mention you at all. Like, I don't know why she would. <laughs> if you were performing on it, maybe that would be... <laughs> well, listen, man, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Um, you know, it's it's fun to watch. You know, it's like we were saying in the... I said in the beginning, the quote, overnight success, and I put... Uh, I mimed quotes because everyone really thinks when people come out of nowhere that it's out of nowhere and it's not. It's years of living in LA doing commercial music after being in a band and having a deal and touring and, you know, after being, you know, a kid who listens to music. It's, it's years of work. And so for, for people to just get to know you after breaking records, it's amazing. I love that people might think that you're an overnight success. You know, <laughs> a thirty-nine-year-old overnight success. It, it just <laughs> amazing, man. You've earned all of it, and congratulations. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to this episode of And the Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. <laughs>
A special thanks to David Silverstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.